when I was in elementary school, we used to make our own cartoons on index cards. Did you ever do that? You, you draw the, the same figure, a stick figure, and just different poses, and then you flip through them, and it looks like what you drew is moving just like a cartoon. I'm going to try to demonstrate that. You know how sometimes these things I do fail and you're kind of embarrassed for me, but I can't. Jim, I have missed you, Jim Belton. I don't know how I've preached all these years. Anyway, so, so, so you kind of get the idea, right? You flip through it real, real fast. Anyway, this is supposed to look like a sunrise. See, with each one, the sun moves a little higher and a little higher. And so here's the thing. These cards don't make sense if they're not in the right order, right? What if I shuffled all these cards around like this and put them all in different places, and then I tried to show you this? It wouldn't make any sense, would it? (laughs) Or is it making better sense? I don't know. (laughs) Never again. I'm just trying to draw you in. The point of all that is context, right? Those pictures need a context. They need the picture that comes before and the picture to come after if they're going to make any sense. If I said to you this, describe the number five, but you're not allowed to use numbers zero through four or six through ten, and you can't use the word middle. How would you describe five without a context? What if I said describe stars without a context? You can't use the word sky. You can't use the word night, or you can't use the word dark. How would you describe star without a context? Things don't have meaning without their context. That's especially true when we come to the word of the Lord. We have to keep the word of the Lord in its context. And one context for Scripture that has to always be in place to understand it rightly is this concept of shalom. Of peace. We began talking about it last week. Shalom is a state of being, completeness, soundness, peace, health, prosperity. All those things work together to create shalom. So when you and I are reading through scripture, somewhere in the context must be shalom. It's not the only context of scripture. Scripture also finds as a context God's glory. That's a context of Scripture. As is the image of God in man. And and Shalom joins these two. The God of all glory seeks peace, Shalom, with those he has created in his image. And here's the thing. We broke that Shalom. God did not. Humans said, we don't want it. This is not what I thought it was. I want more than this, and so we rebelled against the shalom that God created us for and created for us. And so here's the context of Scripture. It's the story of God going to work to restore that peace, to make sure that things are right and as they should be. And just for that, just because God does that, we should love him more and more. God could have chosen to start all over again. He could have prevented Adam and Eve from having children, and human life as we know it would have ended with them, and God could have started all over again with something new, maybe with something different. 
but he did not. God chose to redeem and to reclaim, and he chose to work for peace. And so now, therefore, because of what God has done, you and I must use the blessings of God to seek lives of peace. You and I must use the blessings of God to seek lives of peace. So we're going to talk about this morning as we come to Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter. And when you found your place there, let's stand together as we hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he, Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are. Let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, we're thankful for these words, the same words which we've been looking the last few weeks. Thank you for the truth that's contained in them, what they reveal about you and how you see us and what our needs are. Lord, all of them are addressed here by you because you love us. So, Spirit of God, we call on you once again. Well, we're so thankful for your presence because it's you, Spirit of God, that gives us understanding of your word and the ability and the power to apply it. So it's you, Spirit, when you join the word that brings transformation in our lives. And that's what we seek. We pray that transformation will be taking place all over this room this morning as we come together around your word, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to use our time together this morning in these verses just giving context to the Sermon on the Mount in general and the Beatitudes found in verses 3 through 12 in particular. So look in verse 3, the very first word that Matthew records Jesus speaking in this, his very first public discourse, is blessed. The first word of Jesus in his first public discourse is blessed. And as we've seen over the course of the last few weeks, Jesus, our King, is a King who sees, who perceives, And when Jesus looked at this vast crowd of people who were gathered before him on this mountain, he perceived that the first word they needed to hear out of his mouth was blessed. He knew that's what they needed. They did not need to hear first, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. They need to hear that. And they're going to hear that later in this sermon, but not first. First is blessed are. They did not need to hear, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They need to hear that. And they will hear that later in the sermon, but not yet. Not first. First, Jesus says, blessed are. And so you and I have to figure out what Jesus means by this first and most needed thing that he calls blessed. Is he going to give the people gathered here something? That's often how you and I think of blessing and being blessed. A blessing is something we receive. For instance, if you're here at Redeemer and 
you've had a baby, which you all are want to do here pro- prolifically. Your community group probably decided they're going to provide meals from you, and so your doorbell rings and you stumble in your sleep-deprived state with this new baby, and you open the door, and there's somebody with a meal from you, and you take that meal from their hand, and you say, thank you so much. This is such a blessing, right? So we, we think of blessings as something we, we receive, and so we probably think we have to do something to get that blessing. You have a baby, you get a meal. Not the easiest way to get a meal, right? But one does what one has to do. So is blessing here something that Jesus is going to give, or, or is it something else? It's a difficult word to translate. Scott McKnight says in his commentary on this one word, blessed, the entire passage stands. And from this one word, the whole list hangs, the Beatitudes. Get this word right, the rest fall into place. Get it wrong, and the whole thing falls apart. So we need to get this word right. And for us to get it right, we've got to consider the context. We've got to realize that this teaching on the mountain is not an isolated disconnected moment in time. It has continuity with, and it only makes sense in light of, of what's come before it and what's come after it. Because it's, it's taught by Jesus, right? Who is God incarnate, who eternally was and eternally will be. So unlike me, Jesus has never dropped a card. He's never forgotten a card. He's never gotten a card out of order. The Greek word that Jesus uses here for blessed means fortunate, favored, happy, privileged. And so what Jesus is doing is bringing fullness to what he and the Father and the Spirit wanted for humans long before this moment on the mountain. It's what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had for human beings from the very beginning of history when they said, Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image. And so he created man and woman in his image. And then verse 28 says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. The very first thing, the very first act that God did for these brand newly minted human beings, was to bless them. And Adam and Eve were blessed for a purpose, to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And in doing so, in living out of that blessing, they would find themselves in a state of blessedness or shalom. Their lives would be marked with completeness and soundness and prosperity and all those things that go with shalom. And so how good it felt literally for Adam and Eve to wake up every morning and be alive. I was 23 years old the first time my father-in-law said, if you wake up after 50 and something doesn't hurt, you're dead. (laughs) And how I laughed then. (laughs) 23 years. I had 27 years before I was 50. Look who's not laughing now. Adam and Eve never had one of those morning moments. 
every single day that they lived just felt right to them. This is a great day. This is a blessed day. How many of those days have you had in unbroken succession? See, in their state of blessedness or shalom, Adam and Eve never knew the feeling of just making it through the week. They never had the feeling of just living for the weekend. They never had the feeling of watching their clock, just hoping night would come and and bedtime would come and you could go to sleep and forget all about it. And maybe tomorrow would be a better day. Now their life was a shalom life, a complete life, a sound life, a life of peace and health and prosperity as they busied themselves with the work that God gave them to do. And as they walked with him, they talked with him in the cool of the day. Blessed are you, Adam and Eve. Of course, we know that that shalom life was lost when sin entered the world, right? The peace was shattered. It was smashed. The prosperity they had known was literally choked out by thorns and thistles. The open communication with God was severed and their health declined until finally they were put in a grave. But even in that moment, God determined that shalom would return. Is that good news? Not immediately in the perfection it had been, but he would continue to bless people so that they could know shalom in this life. And so we read in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so here's the blessing of God on Abraham. And just as in the case of Adam and Eve, God blessed Abraham for a purpose. He was blessed by God. His name was made great by God so that he could have and be a blessing to others. Now, what is it that made Abraham's name great? It wasn't what Abraham had accomplished. Rather, it was how Abraham had lived his life. Romans 4 tells us that it was not by works. It was not by what Abraham did that Abraham was blessed Instead, Romans 4 tells us it was by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham lived a life of belief. And faith, a blessed way to live, a way of living that leads to shalom. Romans 4 tells us more about why Abraham's name was great. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. This is how Abraham lived his life in this world, with hope in God, a blessed way to live, a way of living that leads to shalom. Romans 4 says he did not weaken in faith. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Unwavering faith, a blessed way to live life that leads to shalom. Abraham it says in Romans 4, grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham lived his life worshiping God, a blessed way to live, a way that leads to shalom. Finally, Abraham 
Romans 4 says that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He believed the promises of God. That's a blessed way to live, a way that leads to shalom. If I asked you how many camels or how many sheep Abraham had when he died, you wouldn't be able to answer that question. If I asked you how much gold he had, you couldn't tell me the answer. What Abraham had is not what made him famous and made his name great. Rather, it was how Abraham lived his life. And he was blessed to be able to live his life in hope and trust and strength and worship and faith in a God who is able to do the impossible. And that way of living, that blessed way of living, led to shalom for Abraham. Being blessed is not getting stuff. Being blessed for you and for me is knowing how to live in this world. God said that he would bless those who blessed Abraham. How do you bless Abraham? Let's answer in the negative. How do you not bless Abraham? You don't bless him by ridiculing how he lives and what he believes. You don't bless him by mocking him for having faith and for believing in some unseen God and that this God is able to do impossible things. We know what that's all about, don't we? Because we get mocked for such faith all the time in our world. So you bless Abraham when you do the opposite. By worshiping who he worships, by trusting who he trusts, by hoping in whom he trusts, hopes. And then blessing comes on your life because you're living life as Abraham lived it. And Abraham had a blessed life for living a life in a way that blessed God. Don't make me say that again. But you get the point, right? And then Genesis 25 says Abraham breathed his last and he died in a ripe old age, an old man satisfied with life sated with life, surfeited with life, which means he just had an excessive amount of life because he experienced, even on this earth, shalom, peace with God. And God wants shalom for us. And so the context of the Sermon on the Mount is shalom, and the context for shalom is the blessing of the Lord. Let's keep moving in the Old Testament context. A picture's worth a thousand words, and so that's what we get In Psalm chapter 1, the very first psalm, the psalm that is the gateway to this glorious book. What is the very first word of the very first psalm? Let me give you a clue. It's the same as the very first word out of Jesus' mouth at his very first public teaching. What's the first word of Psalm chapter 1, verse 1? Blessed, right? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the God of, of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Once again, the blessing is not something that's received. It's a way of living and all of life, delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on the word of the Lord, who is now himself the living word, leads to the blessing of shalom. And so God gives us an image 
so that we'll know what it looks like. It's a tree. You see it? And there's a tree, and it's planted by this stream of water. What could be more uh, heartwarming and more peaceful for us and more photo-worthy than a tree by a flowing stream? And, and look, the tree is flourishing. There are no dead branches on it. The tree's not dry. It's not dying. The branches are, are vibrant. They're full of green leaves and they're laden with fl- fruit. This is what blessing is. This is what shalom is. It's fullness and it's flourishing. It's a well-watered life. It's a fruit-producing life. So the context for the Sermon on the Mount is shalom and the context for shalom is the blessing of the Lord. And it all looks like a flourishing tree. Vibrant, green-leafed, fruit-bearing. And so now you and I have a means of comparison. Because God has given us a picture that we can keep up here in our minds. How closely does your life mirror the tree by the stream that's blessed with abundance? How's your life flourishing? Do you want it to flourish? Your life can be abundant and flourishing when you center it, as Psalm 1 says, around the Word of God, the written Word, the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants shalom for us. We keep moving in the Old Testament. We come to the book of Proverbs. The Spirit inspired King Solomon to write these or to compile them from other Sources. And if you remember, Solomon asked, what did, what did Solomon ask God for? Wisdom, right? And God granted that prayer and he became the wisest man on earth. And so Solomon was a keen observer of the human condition. And so he wrote these wise sayings under the inspiration of the Spirit that are in the book of Proverbs that direct human beings how to live well in this world. How to live towards shalom. This is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See, there's a way to live in this world. A way that's blessed. A way that leads to shalom. And Proverbs tell God's people, wise ways. Tells you and me, wise ways of navigating life. In relationships, as God's restored people, so that we as individuals and as a corporate whole, so that we flourish. Blessing is not something to receive in this case. It's a way to live. Let's keep moving. Now let's go to the prophets. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 12. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed... For you have indeed done for us all our works. Ordain peace for us. John Calvin says of this verse, 
that here the prophet Isaiah shows that we have obtained from the hand of God all the good things we enjoy. And hence he infers that his kingdom will not cease till we shall have obtained perfect happiness. God won't stop. He won't stop blessing the way we live until we have found shalom. One more. Ezekiel chapter 37. And I will make a covenant of peace, shalom, with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. God makes a covenant, a promise of shalom with his people. And so the context for the Sermon on the Mount is shalom, and the context for shalom is the blessing of the Lord. So now let's return to the Sermon on the Mount with this context. Blessing, which leads to flourishing, leads to shalom. And so the blessings here in these Beatitudes are not something to receive. Instead, these Beatitudes, these blessings, speak to us about a way to live. And when we live in this way, we will flourish. When we live in this way, we'll be blessed. When we live in this way, you and I will find shalom. So read these Beatitudes in this way. They're not blessings to be earned from God. Instead, they are right conditions for flourishing. And so with the Beatitudes, Jesus will picture kingdom life which is the blessed life, the shalom life, the complete life, the sound life, the healthy life, the life of true prosperity. And he's going to invite the listeners to enter into this kind of life and this kind of living. And it's all about flourishing. This is what Jesus wants for you and for me. But it doesn't come naturally. This kind of life is counterintuitive. The meek that Jesus talks about In our minds, the meek don't get anything because the meek are not aggressive enough. They get pushed around. The meek get passed over. The the meek gets stepped on, right, And, and, and squashed. But not in Jesus' kingdom. The kingdom in which Jesus stands a little child and says, of such is the kingdom of God. This kind of living, beatitude living, turns culture on its head. Shalom is not easy or painless. Keep this picture in your mind as well. This is from Acts chapter 5. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Here's a picture of shalom life, full of joy, complete, and yet in the midst of pain because it's being lived for Christ. Scott McKnight, again in his commentary, says this, that the attitudes offer a radical Revisioning of the people of God. And we're so close to being finished. A radical revisioning of the people of God. 
So both of those terms, radical and revisioning, are vital for our understanding of the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes. We must keep radical. We must keep revisioning in our mind. Radical. It relates to or it affects the fundamental nature of something. And so the fundamental nature of our lives must change in light of Jesus' teaching. Here are some adjectives for radical. Thoroughgoing, complete, total, comprehensive, exhaustive, sweeping, wide-ranging, far-reaching, extensive, across the board, profound, major. That kind of change, radical change, must take place in us in light of Jesus' teaching. Revision. we got to keep that word in mind as well. Revision means to look at something again. And that means that we have to look at our life differently. That means that the way we have been looking at our lives might need to change. The life we have envisioned for ourselves and all of us have envisioned a life for ourselves. Maybe we need to look at that vision again in light of Jesus' teaching here. Hopes might need to be rethought. Ambitions, life goals. You can go down the list. As a believer in Christ, as a citizen of his kingdom, as one who gives allegiance to Jesus as king, one's life must be lived in a radically different way. Life must be looked at, envisioned differently than our world without Christ has taught us to look at it. And notice that Jesus does not ask of us any more than he demonstrated to us his radical decision to leave his home in heaven and come to earth. It's pointless for us to talk about how radical that decision really was because none of us has ever been to heaven. But even what we imagine it to be, when someone says the word heaven, it's enough to know that it's vastly better than this earth. Splendid and glorious. And the decision to leave it was radical. But Jesus did it. Because Jesus had revisioned the earth. He saw it for what it once was and and what it will be again. He revisioned us. He sees us where we are, but he has vision of who we can be in him. And so Jesus came. Jesus knows all about being radical. Jesus knows all about revisioning. And so he opened his mouth and he said these words, Blessed are, so that we might have flourishing lives that lead to shalom. This is the context for Scripture, for the Beatitudes, for the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the context for our lives. It's the only way your life and my life will ever be in proper order and really make sense. So will you live your life in the right context. Radically revision life so that you will experience what God has for you. Peace 
shalom. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that each of us would answer yes to that question. Lord, that we would live our lives in the right context. The context of blessing, the context of shalom that you want for us. Lord, you bless us with the right way of living here in our lives. And Lord, when we don't live our lives in this way, they won't make sense. They won't be in the right order. They'll be in the same disarray as these cards lying on the floor. Lord, help us to revision our lives. Help us to be willing to make radical changes in our lives. Live them in the way that you teach us to live. Lord, so that we can find shalom, peace in our lives. And Lord, again, so that those looking in on us, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves, joy or pain or suffering or sorrow, whatever, Lord, the peace will still be there. And we'll be like the Thessalonians. And the power of the gospel will go forth from us and from our lives because people see that we are people of shalom, peace. Lord, we want this for your glory, and we want it for the advancement of your gospel throughout this world. So transform us radically in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.